Welcome to the Geneva Peace Week podcast series, a project of the Geneva Peacebuilding Platform. Geneva Peace Week is a leading annual forum in the international peacebuilding calendar. It's a week of events, workshops, videos, and podcasts just like this one, hosted by different organizations and actors around the world. Founded on the core belief that each person, actor, and institution has a role to play in building peace and resolving conflict. You're listening to a podcast produced for Geneva Peace Week 2020, held from the 2nd to the 6th of November with both live events and pre-recorded contributions. For more content like this, join the conversation at genevapeaceweek.ch. Dear listeners, thanks for listening to this Safer Globe podcast titled Entrepreneurship for Peace, the Role of Startups and Female Leadership in Transformation. My name is Maria Mekri. I am the executive director of SaferGlobe, a Finnish think tank on peace and security. You can check us out online, on Twitter and Facebook. My personal interest in entrepreneurship in fragile context began in post-conflict Liberia already 15 years ago, where I saw the transformative power of local businesses in creating opportunities, employment and harnessing talent. The more fragile the context, the more important it seems that local entrepreneurs are able to support a return to a more peaceful life. That interest even led me to do an MBA in business opportunities and challenges in Afghanistan and Somalia. However, with all the importance of entrepreneurship and the significant role of startups, entrepreneurs and female leadership for economic transformation and the creation of peace, creating entrepreneurship is a rocky road. Typically, in even the best circumstances, 90% of startups fail, and perhaps one in a hundred thrive. The numbers in exceptionally challenging business environments are even worse. So what can we do? How can we help startups fly beyond initial excitement? Today, I am joined in the studio with Jukka-Pekka Heikkilä, who will introduce himself soon. Later, we will also speak with Noor Atrisi, the founder of Teens Who Code in Lebanon, and Yusuf Mohamed Mubarak, who has been instrumental in creating businesses in Somalia. But Jukka-Pekka, perhaps you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your time in North Korea. Hello, everyone. My name is Jukka-Pekka Heikkilä. I'm a scholar who has specialized to extreme settings and entrepreneurship education. I'm based in Aalto University and I'm a visiting scholar in Stanford University and Harvard University and Newton Fellow in Royal Society. And as Maria said, I've I've worked in North Korea uh, for five years between 2012-2017 and also taught entrepreneurship there and the road after North Korea went to Lebanon where we focused on equality and uh, entrepreneurship education with the local uh, local talented startup entrepreneurs and the motivation for for this all was um, born in after my PhD in international management Um, I found myself in volunteer work in Pyongyang, simply started as an adventure. And I noticed um, when switching from management sciences to entrepreneurship, the 
empowering effect of entrepreneurship that people can dream and dream big and and also that they it creates the notion of of positive future and of course when when we think about the context of Pyongyang which is not exactly the startup hub of the planet it it was it was more on ideation and focusing on countryside ideations and then we did two startup events 2016-17 that we have featured on Financial Times and and you can find more information on quite easily from the web on on those um, but then especially in Lebanon the motivation was that there was a when going there as a volunteer to a startup event to mentor uh, uh, we noticed a momentum in equality and that it was the Lebanese women who were actually driving the changes in the society. And then it was the group of volunteers um, from Finland who, who started to train the women and bridge Nordics and Middle East through entrepreneurship more commonly. But of course then things happened with Lebanon and and it's a it will take time to recover but yet i'm hopeful for the future Jukka Pekka, i'd like to ask you more about the work that you do uh, because you have talked a lot about change makers trust and inspiration in entrepreneurship uh, and creating change makers in different societies this sounds really good but how do you do it in practice how did you create a trust in the future and inspiration and change makers in this very difficult context that you have worked in? Very good question. Um, it goes, basically there are certain rule of thumbs that um, in training situations, um, it's good to avoid the uh, topics within the classroom or, or workshop space. Uh, politics and religion should be kept outside. That say um, comes from the on on basically doing quite a few mistakes on on that and also it 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 comes down to a notion of which is not recognized as an educator it's the notion of science diplomacy which allows because the the scholars are not binded by the certain rules that for example diplomatic community or the business community have so basically it allows us to go a bit more local so I give you an example um, how on entrepreneurship course in North Korea where entrepreneurship is illegal it was appreciated by the locals was that um, I used local examples for example water bottles that there are four different water bottle brands and how then um, these businesses could be distributed to the countryside where there is lack of water and the main thing with the trust is that it there are no shortcuts it takes time and that's how trust is built and towards the last years when the international tensions were rising and same with Lebanon um, there were so many possibilities on that were built for for years to open up open up on 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 the society in in Lebanon in terms of equality 
and and these are it's very fragile and of course it comes with occupation that it it countries might go to one way or another and but yet the biggest lesson is is that the trust trust is is you can find it everywhere and and that's the definition factor one of your very interesting recent project has been what's up beirut and today we will be joined by nora trisi direct from beirut lebanon before we call nora would you like to uh, share some of your experiences about what's up lebanon a pleasure so what's up lebanon started um in uh, with the zero budget and the, the biggest lesson learned there is that um in order to make impact it doesn't need to be 500,000 euro project um it if the values are shared and the way we the way we did it with the volunteer team of 20 from Finland was that we co-created the whole program with the Lebanese we did not say that this is how we do things in Finland which is known for its startup culture and that you should do the same way no we simply like okay this these are the modules to be chosen from um how about and and we learned from Lebanon a lot which was during the event and this would never happen in the Nordics or, or in in many other countries is that during the event new partners started to board the initiative in the middle of the event and suddenly we have national tv in the event just showing up because the lebanese culture is that it's 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 on momentum and in in finland that should have been planned six months in advance that okay you are going to do this and this and this mm-hmm. and that's the biggest learn that that things can be a bit loose things will be a bit chaotic in in certain environments yet it it might actually result much better end result and that was exactly what happened 2019 that we gained a massive momentum and we're ready ready to scale it to the middle east and and now we are on hold but um give it one or two years and we'll be back <laughs> i think you touched on two really important topics one is this kind of co-creation uh in especially complex environments that you allow for a very strong local ownership from the beginning and then the other is a kind of a sustainability when times get rough that things may be put on hold but resilient business practices will continue regardless of of being put on hold sometimes let's now call Noor in Lebanon Uh, we are joined by Nora Trisi. We are so happy, Nora, that you're with us today uh, for our podcast. Nora Trisi is the founder of Teens Who Code uh, Lebanon. And a winner of a um, startup event in Beirut called WhatsApp Beirut that was focusing on training local talents in Lebanon. Nora, could you tell us where you are now? Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to participate in this podcast. I'm actually speaking to you from Beirut, Lebanon. Noor, you have done many interesting things. Perhaps you could tell us your story as an entrepreneur. Well, I started my academic life studying um, 
pursuing an undergraduate degree in food science and management and uh, was completely um, on, a, on a academic and research path, got my master's degree, traveled to France to do my master's research on renewable energy and uh, wanted to continue higher education and become a professor and get involved in research and academia. But somehow um, life started taking me into different places and I stumbled up uh, I came, I stumbled upon the startup ecosystem in Beirut back in 2012, 2013. It was pretty nascent back then. It was like barely a newborn. And when I, when I came across the concept of entrepreneurship and what a startup is and that somebody can actually build something, um, just by having an idea without necessarily having a tons of your own money, it just was fascinating for me and it kind of clicked with the person that I am and was as a kid. So I started experimenting with different things coming out of a personal need, um, started um, producing some healthy snacks and selling them to friends and family and um, trying to put them in coffee shops. And although this sounds like really, really simple, but it kind of taught me the basics of entrepreneurship and actually doing like the, the, the cold stuff, the cold calls, the emails, just like showing up at a coffee shop, knocking the door, like, hey, can I talk to the manager, to the owner? I want to sell these stuff. How do we do this? It, it built a lot of uh, of my character, and then I started actually uh, learning formally, informing myself about startup and entrepreneurship, and reading about all these companies and big startups, small startups. How did they start? What is it? What did it take for them to get to where they are? And this is where my life started transforming. In 2015, I attended an entrepreneurship school in Silicon Valley called Drake University. And I discovered my passion for education and how education is the, the to me, the number one factor to, to, to bring democracy, democratization uh, among everybody. It just makes people equal. That's what I think. So with more research to finding, uh, defining the problem that I want to solve, not just because I wanted to build a company just for the sake of building one, I wanted to be actually solving a problem that I'm also passionate about. Um, and I discovered that coding is the future. It's the new reading and writing. And I saw that schools in Lebanon, in the Middle East, and almost around the world are not able to catch up with the fast pace of technology. Technology is moving really, really fast. And what we're teaching at school in the majority of the world is not uh, at the same pace. And this is where Teens Who Code was born, the company I've been running since 2016. It, uh, it mainly started as a very fun summer experience for, for teenagers from 12 to 18 years old where they come and not just take coding courses in a boring school format. And when I say boring, I'm not talking about Finland because we know how exceptional the educational experience in Finland is. I'm just talking about the rest of the world, at least in our region. So it's just, uh, it's so much fun. There's sports, there's company visits. We talk to founders and CEOs. We just uh, explore the entrepreneurial world while learning how to code in case these students decide to pursue this path. Not only they know what it is about, they only have the skills. They are equipped with the entrepreneurial and, and technical and hard skills that they need to build their own companies in the future or uh, build a career in what the future is about today. This is, uh, this is my story in a nutshell. Thank you. Um, I remember we met in, in Silicon Valley at Startup Grind event and 
And already by then I noticed um, you are you're such a talented change maker. And then then you won the competition and um, uh, exactly a year ago you were um, in Slush, Helsinki, which is 20,000 strong uh, startup event. And um, then since then, how has it been? Well, it has been difficult. It has been challenging especially being based out of Lebanon. I mean, when I started Team Decode in 2016, not only I wanted to bring the education that I was discussing, students here and everywhere around the world, I, w- I was also very keen on being in my country and not leaving, staying here, because we have a lot of brain drain, and it's been, it's been very, since a very long time ago. So I was determined on staying here, building something for my company, improving the economy, but um, it just kept getting hard as of, as of last year. The economic situation in the country started getting worse, which makes it even more difficult for a small startup than a small company like mine. And then COVID happened, especially that our activities were mostly focused on the offline. I mean, students come together to experience this immersive community experience that happens in the summer. And the summer was the peak of, of COVID and people were freaking out. Everybody was at home. We were on lockdown. So I kind of, um, I would say paralyzed, paralyzed the business. That's on the business side and on the personal side, seeing, witnessing something. I've been putting um, my, my blood and sweat and tears for the past four or five years, literally traveling the world just to learn and get the best education so I can build the best company. Like you said, it's really tough at a, at a personal and an emotional level. And I've been trying to deal with that ever since. And... Uh, last October, there was a um, civic movement that was many women were on the front lines of it, and many of mm-hmm. them were also entrepreneurs. And it mm-hmm. was the most peaceful demo- period of demonstrations that Lebanon has witnessed. Um, uh, why was that? And, and go, could you could you share a bit of that about female leadership? Yes. Actually, it, it was very, very noticeable the role of women they had in this revolution. And I personally was participating when this revolution first started. And I was seeing in my own eyes um, how many women there are. This is number one. This is like unusual. It's usually more men participating in protests here in Lebanon. There was a lot of women. And what, um, what's interesting is that it was women from all ages. You would see kids with their with their moms and dads. You would see teenagers alone, and you would see people in their uh, 20s, 30s, and then up until 80 and 90 years old. And that's because the cause that made the people go down the streets was a unifying cause, was a real cause, and it was not a political side, just people supporting one political side over the other. It was it was because the economy was getting so bad, and we just needed a, a drastic change against all of the corrupt political system. This is why it attracted uh, people from all genders and from all ages and even social backgrounds. You can you could tell the diversity. It's like literally a mini Lebanon was in that very small uh, geographical area. Noor, you're dealing with everyday challenges in Lebanon uh, and the business environment in Lebanon is extremely complicated and difficult. If you were mm-hmm. able to give yourself or someone else some advice 
or or do you have some concrete steps that you wish you were able to access? I would wish that the the, the economic changes at the bank sector give exceptions for the businesses and the companies, or at least the small ones, or at least the tech ones, because we know that if we were to rebuild this economy, we have a very big chance and potential to focus on the tech sector. It can, it can drastically improve our economy and we can change um, the country and where our money is coming from, et cetera, et cetera. We can build internet companies and literally serve the whole world. Unfortunately, with all the talents that we have in Lebanon, whether it's tech talent or business talent, we have a lot of startups, we have a lot of qualified people building companies. However, we are kind of suffocated because of the, the, the new bank laws that they are implementing because of the economic situation. I'll give you a very, very simple example. The limit on the internet cost. We need to, um, to, to, to work with other businesses abroad to subscribe to services, to maybe import certain products, to build our products, etc. However, we are suffering from something very, very simple, as simple as a limit on how much we can purchase online because of the um, economic situation and the Lebanese pound issue and the dollar fluctuation and inflation. Uh, this is something that I would want to change. That's a very, very simple change that can happen without having to change the politics of the country just to at least keep these businesses going so that the country doesn't go even more down. Uh, other stuff would be at a much larger scale. It's something very simple that uh, they can do for us. How do you see, um, uh, thanks for, for sharing, how do you see yourself and, and other entrepreneurs uh, as the change makers and, and, and the path towards peaceful future and also applying to the other other similar countries perhaps like what should entrepreneurs in your view do all entrepreneurs have one thing in common which is they are on a mission to solve a certain problem that their company is built around and when entrepreneurs are found in in conflict areas or in areas where the economy is bad or there's any kind of problem their innate instinct is to build a solution around this problem in the form of a company so that this solution can sustain itself. So the way I see it is, I believe that in the next few years, a lot of entrepreneurial activity will emerge in Lebanon after the situation gets a little bit better to, to start solving the problems that we have around, especially the new ones that were born. For example, just like the limitations that I spoke about earlier, there are a lot of other limitations. And I'm sure that a lot of creative people will come up with solutions to these problems and start um, helping people run their businesses in untraditional ways that did not exist before these problems. This is number one. Number two, um, it's, um, it's, it's the educational sector. Once again, I cannot em- emphasize enough on this one. It's um, when people are well-educated, when people have the education that they need, uh, especially at the technical level, it just opens doors for them and instead of being busy, uh, being brainwashed by, by, by corrupt politicians like we have here, they will be 
busy building a better life for themselves, for their families, for their country. Even if they are based out of here, the whole world is open to them because they have access to technology and they have the ability to build technology. And Lebanese people are known to be very skilled people and actually companies all over the world is looking for this kind of talent. Uh, this is another example having companies recruiting uh, recruiting talent here would also contribute into people having good lives that is coming from companies outside of the, co the country in spite the bad economy here. So this will prevent them from getting into um, bad or unhealthy situations and participate in the wrong stuff that are going on. North, thank you so much uh, for this interview. Would you still have some final words that you would like to give to the change makers from the Geneva Peace Week that are listening to this podcast? Um, I would say that if they if they have any influence over what is going on here, we I, I speak on behalf of all of the population. We are in desperate need of a drastic change. And whenever we try to do something, the political power, the conglomerate is much, much stronger than us. And it's causing the good people and the smart people to leave the country. And I know that an international intervention at the level of the government would actually be of a lot of help. And if this is something that they can intervene on, uh, this is what I ask them for. Thank you. I, I truly, truly admire you. And I look forward to work again with you in the near future, in a couple of years, like you said. Thank yeah. you. Nor we wish yes. you all the Thanks. very, very best. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure and hope to see you soon somewhere in the world. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 It was great to hear from Nora Tracy from Lebanon. And I think she also highlighted the need for co-creation and being actually in touch with the local environment. Jukka-Pekka, uh, what are your thoughts? Um, my, my thoughts on the topic are, um, I've seen quite often it, it's, um, it can be big education institutions or organizations have their modules ready. And those modules are taught in a Western country that this is what we are going to teach. Um, I've seen AI being taught in a setting where there are not even calculators. So it's always the, the local blending is, and that comes through, to, through trust, it's extremely important. A potential valuable role in co-creation is also with the diaspora. In Finland, we have a large Somali community that has been instrumental in creating business ties with Somalia. So we are also joined by Yusuf Mubarak. At the last count, his project or a project he has been helping with, uh, with Fin Partnership, has managed to create over 20 businesses in Somalia. Yusuf, that's super impressive. Would you be able to tell us more and perhaps introduce yourself? Uh, yes, uh, my name is Yusuf uh, Mohamed Mubarak. Uh, I am uh, Somali. Uh, I have a Somali background and uh, I've been living in Finland for uh, about 30 years, 30 last years, and also a Finnish citizen. 
uh, I have studied telecommunications technologies and I was working for Nokia uh, something like about 20 years. And last uh, six years I have been promoting and, and being part of uh, a project which was uh, promoting Finland and Somalia and Finnish and Somali companies' uh, businesses and, uh, and uh, opportunities, uh, to explore opportunities also for both sides. Uh, Finland uh, has a, a great potential in technology-wise, and uh, Somalia needs that one. It's coming from uh, war tone and uh, civil war, and almost all the infrastructure has been destroyed in the war. So this was a good combination to build as uh, the Somali diaspora is also strong here in Finland. And we have experts also who could help also Finnish companies to go there and and and, and uh, show them the, the, the opportunities which is which is in there. So we have started from scratch this project, Finn Bartonish project, 2018-19. Uh, it was uh, in beginning of 2017 that started. And, uh, and we have been able to help uh, almost 20 companies uh, to get projects from FinBatnership for Somalia uh, projects across the spectrum, uh, energy, construction, services, education, health, uh, combination of those kind of projects. Yusuf, when we started talking about the business potential of Somalia many years ago, it seemed yes. like having businesses and, and supporting businesses in Somalia was almost kind of like a fantasy, that it was a utopia that we wanted to go forward, but that the practicalities, the fragility of Somalia were such that it would never really happen. But you have made it now happen. Could you tell us about how and what you thought were the key components of your success? Uh, I think I think uh, the key component was that we have been resilient in in in, in, uh, in believing that this is possible. That was the uh, the force which was giving us all the time energy, and we we believe it. We believe it that this is possible, and we have we have the know-how of the country. Uh, we know the culture. We are experts. We are Finnish uh, citizens uh, who have been living here for a long time. We know the culture of both sides. So this has built. Uh, kind of a potential belief and also uskomos, what you call in Finnish. Uh, Maybe trust trust. trust. trust, yeah, trust. That was, I think this is the word, a trust. That was what we have needed. In the beginning, we, we were missing that one. So we got a trust, and then when we build that trust, then the company, the Finnish companies came just like, you know, after one another. In the beginning, we were having something like five companies who have been interested in 2007, for instance. And 2009, we have been having something like, uh, something like you know, 50 companies who are interested to have uh, business relations with Somali companies. So, so basically, entrepreneurs uh, are seen often as change makers in the society. And, and exactly how you described that it, it's about building trust. Um, yeah, how do you, exactly. How, how do you see, um, how, has it had an impact on outside the businesses, also 
to the society, um, like in the government bodies or, or in the culture, surrounding culture. Uh, could you uh, elaborate a bit of that? Perhaps? Yeah, thank you, very, thank you very much for asking that one, because that was very important also in, in our work. So we have been able to build also a trust and a relationship with the Chamber of Commerce around Somalia in the beginning. So, and then we have been building also trust with the, directly with the Somali companies who have the potential. And then we got also uh, on the board the Ministry of uh, the Ministries of Finance, uh, the Ministries of, uh, of Commerce and Industry across Somalia, even the sub-state. So we, we were also able to build and see that it's very potential. If we wanted to convince the Finnish companies to come with us, we, we see that it was very potential that we have also correct linkage and collaboration from the other side. So that was what has helped this project potentially, very potentially, and what makes it also successful in the end. It, it, it continues also, now we are also supporting uh, Finnish companies still, and, and this corona pandemic have, have affected, of course, uh, uh, and lowered the speed, but still, you know, we are going forward. But of of course, yes, as you said, it was also very potential to build the relationship in the other side, directly with the with those uh, you know institutions and and companies, chamber of commerce, who we have seen that they are very potential to to go forward and to be in success. I remember seeing uh, the one of the first media articles about your work and and how how many perceive that that's going to be impossible, yet you and the people you work with made it possible. What would be your advice for entrepreneurs who wish to create something very ambitious um, to a very fragile environment? Um, what would be your three advices for, for our listeners? I think I think one thing which I could uh, underline is, uh, you know, we have been seeing the, the big picture not only very specific things, you know, we, we were we were seeing this from the big picture. As I said, uh, uh, in Somalia, we looked uh, what are the potential in there, who have who we have to be in contact with, who would be very potential for this collaboration when we build this bridge. And here in Finland, this trust was very important. So if you have, you know, the, the build the trust, and then if you plan also your steps very carefully, and very, you know, uh, specifically looking all the time the big picture, I think that you will also uh, uh, be able to not to, you know, encounter that much problem in the in the in the in the in the, in the journey uh, to go. Yusuf, uh, Somalia is a uniquely entrepreneurship friendly environment in in many ways, actually. The Somalis seem to be quite an entrepreneurial Uh, people, I was wondering if you could perhaps uh, talk a bit more about that and also the role of female leadership in in the work that you have done. Yes, uh, uh, yes, as you said, uh, 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 the the civil war. I think one thing which have you know, uh, 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 who, which was keeping the country to be alive was was the entrepreneurs and also the business community and. Uh, And because of that, also they have built a very uh, vibrant, you know, telecommunication system, which is, you know, the TOS in Africa is still, and then this kind of uh, remittance companies, uh, which have uh, well developed compared to even the neighboring countries and, and Africa and worldwide. 
So from this perspective, uh, the entrepreneurship, uh, we, we call it that in the blood of the Somali community and Somali people. And wherever, whenever, wherever they are, uh, look Kenya, Ethiopia, uh, even uh, South Africa, uh, Zimbabwe, any country you just mentioned in Africa where they have been, and also in abroad, in Europe, in, in, in you know, uh, America, in, uh, in Canada, uh, Australia, all where, where they have been, particularly in the African countries, they have been, you know, bringing own, you know, input uh, to the entrepreneurs in those countries, and they have been also creating new ideas, and, and, and with, they were getting a leg to create also new opportunities in those countries. Uh, and in Uganda also, let me mention that the, the biggest factory in Africa, sugar factory, is you know run by a Somali women entrepreneur who has, uh, who is one of the richest uh, persons in, in in Uganda. I think you have heard about about her also. And uh, from this perspective, uh, the entrepreneurship uh, is a very common in Somalia, and uh, and uh, everyone you know would like to do own business, create own business, and and do it. And in the diaspora, those who are in diaspora, uh, those countries which have been friendly for entrepreneurship, uh, they were also making a, a great progress and, and, and they were employing themselves and also others. So that was the, that was the, the you know, the trend which has been for, for many years in Somalia. And, and it is uh, still in Somalia, when you look, uh, even though there has been a, you know, every civil war, one thing which has been all the time, you know, reconciled by itself, it was the entrepreneur. So if you go to Somaliland, you can open, I can go there too, even though I'm not from there. I can go there and open a, a, a company and do business with the Somaliland rest who are there. So they will also uh, be part of that. So I have to partner with them. So partnering was very important. And business doesn't have, even though the clans have a, a treaty, raya, uh, you know, lines, treaty lines uh, in, in the country and and. and you name also this, you know, city-state. But the business still doesn't have that kind of territory in Somalia. So from this perspective, it is, you know, still one of the drivers, which is putting forward to the country because the government cannot provide still the basic services for the, for the citizens. Thank you so much, Yusuf, for sharing your experience with us. Would you have any final words to give to our listeners? I just want to thank you. Uh, you have been also following this for a long time, and uh, the work that you are doing is, is really essential and great, and we respect that, and, and we we admire it. So there is nothing else I would uh, add to this. Thank you very much for calling. Thank, thank you, you very Yusuf. much, Yusuf. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. After these exciting phone calls, there were four themes that really came to the forefront for me. The first one is co-creation and local ownership. The second is the role of trust. The third is about structural obstacles for change. And the fourth is on inclusion and the role of female leadership. Jukka Pekka, what do you think about co-creation? I think co-creation is, is the one of the ultimate success factors towards a most the stable societies and which is also that we in the Western countries we need to give up our thinking on on who is right, who is wrong and listen 
more and be more inclusive with any given project we work with, which ultimately leads that the education or the projects or the organization is more locally adaptive. And that then results that, give me an example of, for example, a mid-sized city where entrepreneurship education is taking place. Um, bringing in the local talented women will surely make a change because then it affects the local community and it will have spillover effects to the economy and which ultimately in a longer term will transform society towards being more transparent and also more equal for everyone. So Jukka Pekka, you said that we should challenge ourselves more when we are creating programs to support entrepreneurship and startups in fragile contexts. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yes, indeed. We should challenge, we should question Since day one, why are we designing certain type of education? Who will benefit from it? And how is it mutually, how does it serve to the local context? And what can be the lessons learned back in, let's say, in the Nordics? We have, we can learn a lot on from the fragile en- environments and especially on which is a very hot topic is how how to operate under extreme stress and and these are big big very big learnings to question asking the question why basically every day is my advice for educators thanks Jukka Pekka i think the Questions of trust, creating trust, and how do you create trust when institutional trust is low? Conflict breaks down trust, and and it needs to trust needs to be created somewhere. But where do you start? Do you start with the institutions, or do you start with individuals? Do you start small, or do you start big, or are you actually able to start both? And and I think with the entrepreneurship training, you are able to start small, but sometimes these small seeds can grow and you're able to bring more resilience, uh, which is where I think entrepreneurship in fragile context actually has a lot to give us because in most countries we have been so focused on efficiency, which means that our processes are becoming more and more streamlined, but efficient is not often resilient. And uh, the resiliency of entrepreneurs in fragile context is Impressive, especially when looking at the structural obstacles they may change with things like the legal environment, the banking sector, financing, all the things that entrepreneurs need. And there is a scientific consensus that it's a two-way street is that the surrounding institutions obviously influence how entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial activities take place. Yet... Uh, there is larger and larger evidence that it is the entrepreneurs who in turn change the 
the institutions. And that dialogue, looking into that dialogue, like how can we support, let's say, reducing corruption? What are the means for that? What are the means for avoiding conflicts through entrepreneurship education? Can can a education module bring together certain stakeholders that would have difficulties to otherwise work together like these these are open-ended questions and these are something that i'm i'm personally very excited to explore with my teams and hopefully also with the peace and conflict community because i think uh, cooperation between the different fields of study is a very very important component in creating new understanding for our world, which is becoming more and more complex. Thank you so much, Jukka Pekka, for joining me today in the studio for this Safer Globe podcast uh, on entrepreneurship, uh, peace and the role of startups and female leadership in transformation. I hope to continue this conversation soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this installment of the Geneva Peace Week podcast series. Don't forget to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review about something you learned. You can also visit our website to continue the conversation with the makers of this episode. Or join us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Geneva Peace Week. Above all, thank you for being here, and we hope you'll join us again for another episode.